0: Today we're going to continue to look at the prayer that was prayed uh, in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. We looked at the first half of it two weeks ago, which was the last time I preached. And today we're going to look at the second half of the prayer. But let's just go ahead and read the entire prayer. Uh, let's discuss the entire prayer. Um, let, let's, uh, I, I want to introduce this a little bit more than I usually do, though, before we get into our discussion um. there's a quote that I actually came across late last night, not too late, but I saw it and just felt like it fit so well with what God wants to say and do today. This is a quote by J.P. Moreland in a book that I read almost 20 years ago. He says this, The church has become primarily a hospital to soothe empty selves instead of a war college to mobilize and train an army of men and women to occupy territory to advance the kingdom until the king returns. Read that again. The church is talking about us as people, not the building. We, the church, the American church, has become primarily a hospital to soothe empty selves instead of a war college to mobilize and train an army of men and women to occupy territory to advance the kingdom until the king returns. I'm reading this because if we approach church, if we approach our gathering and if we approach ministry and life with God as If we come on Sunday morning just to get to feeling better and that's it, then we are going to miss out in giant ways on what God wants to do through this church in our community. Now hear me say this, and this is especially true if you're just getting to know God, but many of us in here have known God for a very long time. There there is is a place and a time when you are just as empty inside as you can be and you need to come and get filled up. And Sunday morning should be a good time to do that. But if you've known God for quite some time and that's how you think of church every single week, then I want you to know that there's this entire area of a relationship with God that you're not even going to think about or get into or grow in. I love this quote. It puts so much into perspective that the church is a should, we'd be much better off if we were a war college to mobilize and train an army of men and women to occupy territory to advance the kingdom until the king returns. So I, I, I say this today for a number of reasons, and I'll read this quote two or three more times probably before we're done here today. If you only come to church to fill up your empty soul, then what we're talking about from the Bible today probably isn't going to make any sense. It would probably be the type of thing that you hear it and you have some idea, just in your mind, on an intellectual level of what's being said, and you'll be like, yeah, that's good. I want that. But that's just so beyond me. I'll probably never get there. But if you think about life in such a way, if you regularly think about life with the worldview, with the kind of the, the emphasis that we see in Scripture so often, where there is a spiritual war going on between God and all of his enemies. We looked deep into that two weeks ago. If you understand that so much of our life is a war between good and evil, and that while God has already secured the victory, the victory hasn't completely, fully been realized and taken place yet. In order to understand the passage today and understand what's going on in the book of Acts, really in order to understand the purpose of the church and the purpose of your life, we need to put our armor on and we need to realize that we're in a battle. And that while it is perfectly fine to have days and weeks where you come to church occasionally to soothe your empty self, we are coming because we're, we're, an army is being mobilized for battle, for action. So we're getting towards the end of chapter 4 today. And really chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Acts, and, and if you're just joining us, the book of Acts is what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. So Jesus lived, he died, he came back from the dead, and then 40 days after that, he went back up into heaven. He's been there ever since. But after he went up there, he sent his spirit, which is... God himself, and and now God's living inside of people. And so what we're reading, this book of Acts, is what God's Holy Spirit was doing in people after Jesus went back up to heaven. So it took place about 2,000 years ago. And so in chapter 3, we read a story about a man (laughs) um, who had never walked before. And he spent every day outside of the temple in Jerusalem asking people to give him money because he begged because that's all he could do. Which is fine if that's all you can do. And he asked Peter and John who were very close followers of Jesus, he says, do you all have any money? And Peter says, I don't have any money to give you but what I have is in the name of Jesus Christ get up, stand up, and walk. And he did. It was a miracle that Jesus did through Peter and John. So that attracted a big crowd because this man was very, very popular. Everyone knew him. Everyone had seen him there. They walked in and out of the temple. He'd been there for years. And so a big crowd gathered and, and, and Peter decided, hey, all these people are here. They just saw what God did. I'm going to tell them about God and explain to them the things of God. So he told them about Jesus, his, his life, his death. He rose from the dead. And he was telling them and speaking about the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Well, about the time he was in the middle of that, some religious leaders in the temple, they weren't the leaders of the temple. But some religious leaders in the temple came and they're like, no, stop it. Y'all got to stop. You can't be doing this here. And so they threw him in prison overnight. The next day there was a bit of a hearing and they pretty much said, y'all can't talk about Jesus anymore. So Peter and John said, you got to judge whether it's right for us to listen to you or God. Okay, you're telling us to do something that God doesn't want us to do. You're telling us to stop doing what God has told us. So we're going to keep talking. We're going to keep speaking about the name of Jesus. So they went, they gathered with their friends, and they told them what happened. And they started to pray. They started to pray. And two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this prayer, and we saw three things about how they understood God. We saw that they understood that God was sovereign. That means he's master. That means he has ownership of everything, including your heart, your soul, your mind, your shoelaces, and your eyeglasses. Okay? Every single bit of it belongs to him. All of it. And so they knew that he was sovereign over it. He, he could... Uh, aren't, can't you decide what to do with the things that you own, right? If you got a shirt that doesn't work for you anymore, it's your decision to throw it away, right? Okay? You can do whatever you want to with stuff that you own for the most part, right? Well, God has ultimate authority. He can do whatever He wants, and He owns us. He owns everything. He owns everybody, even people that hate Him. So we saw that God was sovereign. We also saw what God had done. And He... Predestined the death of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means it doesn't mean that God killed his son. What it means is that God used all the evil in the world to bring, to accomplish something that needed to be accomplished. God used people who hated him. To make something happen that God wanted to do. And what was it that God wanted to do? He wanted to offer a sacrifice that would cover the sin of the world so he could get his people back. So God predestined that to happen. In predestining that, we learned two weeks ago that he didn't do anything wrong. That he did absolutely no evil. But he took evil and he made something good out of it. So we learned that God is sovereign. We learned that God predestined the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And there was a third thing that we learned that that was in the beginning of that prayer. And that is that God, and also the people who were praying that prayer, they realized the nature of the battle. They quoted two verses from the Old Testament. And in those verses, it says the kings of the earth hate God, and they've gathered together to do battle against God. So they understood the nature of our world, they understood that we were in a battle. I was speaking of this a few moments ago. They understood that there were people that hated God, that wanted to kill God, and they understood that if they walked with God, there was going to be opposition. So we've been learning you know, for two or three weeks now, since ever since that miracle took place, we've been learning how to overcome opposition as the people of God. We've been learning how to penetrate the darkness when we encounter it. And don't we encounter darkness and sin and evil constantly and regularly in our world? And so we're going to continue today to learn how to overcome opposition to the gospel. We're going to continue today to learn how to go into the darkness and bring light or to bring the light of God's kingdom when the darkness comes upon us. That's what we're learning. That's what God's teaching us right now. I got some hard truth that I'll be sharing with you. I, it, it, this prayer is just so far from where we are. We, we have, and believe me, when I say we, me included, by all means, we have so far to go in our walk with God. But as I share these hard truths with you today, I want you to know that we're in this together. I want you to know that... that Nobody here is better or superior to another. Yeah, some of us have been walking with God. There's different levels of maturity, and, and that's fine, and that's how it is in the church. But, but none of us in here have this together. None of us in here, you know, have all the... Like we're, we, I just want you to hear this, and, and, and I want you to know that I know we're all walking in this together, and we got to pull each other along in. In this, na- in this journey, in this walk with God. So with all that being said, let's read the prayer. Acts chapter 4. I'll begin in verse 23 and read through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, And continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So let's do as we usually do. Take a few minutes. Read this passage to yourself. And when the time is right, the discussion leader at each table will begin the discussion. Thank you. So this was a radical prayer. There. We, we saw their theology at the beginning of the prayer. Their theology is very different from the theology of many. We saw, beginning in verse 29, what they asked God to do. And the things that they asked God to do in light of the situation they were in is very, very different than what many of us would ask God to do in light of the situation, or if we would be in the same situation that they are in. So let's look straight at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. They acknowledged the hardship. God, they're threatening us. But Lord, you didn't need us to tell you about that. And that Right. <laughs> Does God ever need us to tell us about his problems? The God who knows the number of hairs on your head? Does he need us to fill him in? Did did, did he miss an episode? He already knows, doesn't he? He always knows. He always knows. But in his heart for us, he loves to hear from us. He loves hearing from his children. And it's okay to to say, tell God what happened. They acknowledged the the real threat that they were under. Some of you have been severely hurt by others before. And by hurt, I, I mean that word in every possible sense. You know what it's like to live under threat. And the threat was real for them just like many threats are real for us. And so they acknowledged the threat. And they didn't say, rescue us from the threat. They didn't say, God, would you like, God, can we have a new president so that we aren't threatened anymore? They didn't say, I really hope, did the Supreme Court delivers us from these threats? They didn't say any number of things to try to avoid the persecution and the difficulty that the threats posed to them. They weren't trying to get away from the danger. but they actually prayed for strength to do the thing that caused the threat. They were talking about Jesus and the threats came and they said, God, give us strength to keep talking about Jesus. God, we just want to keep doing the things that caused all this trouble for us. That's what we say. When we trust God and when we know what he wants us to do. That's how we approach God when we understand that all of life is a war until Jesus comes and makes everything right. God is teaching us how to overcome opposition. He's teaching us how to penetrate the darkness. And here's how we do that. We pray and we ask God to work in us in such a way that we speak his word, even in a world, even when the world around us hates it and doesn't want to hear it. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Notice they say, grant to your servants to speak. Raise your hand if you really, really love confrontation. Come on, somebody. (laughs) There's no strange people in here, are there? We're all in that boat together, aren't we? For them to speak the name of Jesus was not easy. Some of them knew absolutely nothing about Jesus until just a few months before this. So all of a sudden, for them to speak the name of Jesus, they they understand that they are telling people that they need to radically change their lives and live their lives differently. And this whole time, most of their own life, they were living wrong. So for them to come and say, you need Jesus and you need to live according to his teaching. You need to obey him, love him, repent, believe in him. I, they realized that that's a new message. That's a radical message. And they knew they could not speak of Jesus without the power of Jesus. And they knew that God told that Jesus told them. Wait until my spirit comes to you. And when it does. You'll receive power. To talk about Jesus. And so they understood. The plan of God. That if they're going to speak of Jesus. Then they need. If they're going to speak of God the Son. Jesus Christ. They're going to need God the Holy Spirit. Living in them. To fill them. If they're going to speak. That word. So they want to continue to speak the word. Y'all, did y'all know there's a. A specific message here at the church. We don't just speak, oh, any message is okay. No, we have a particular message. And that is the message of the kingdom of God. That Jesus Christ is God's chosen king. And he came to die for any for, for, for the world. So that anyone who calls on him would be saved. That is, and that all must repent. And that God is the king and the only king. That's the word. That's the message. It's very specific. It's very narrow, it's not wide, it's not broad, Broad. it's not all-inclusive. But it's about Jesus, and it's true. And how did they want to speak this? They wanted to speak it with all boldness. We live in a world that discourages boldness, don't we? Now, it kind of depends on your message, though. You know, If you watch the news, if you're following what's going on in the world today, there's particular messages where the news media is encouraging you to be incredibly bold. And that results in all kinds of messy stuff. But if the message is not popular, then, then you just need to stay over there in the corner, and, and you know, we'll put up with you, but you know, just stay quiet about that. And Boldness is absolutely necessary if we're going to see the revival that we desire to see in our land. They were bold. They've already been bold in chapter 3. They were bold earlier in chapter 4 when the authorities said, stop talking about Jesus, and they said, no, we're going to keep on. To be bold means to say something plainly. To be bold means to say something clearly. I think everyone in this room has siblings. And some of you live with your siblings now, and for some of you, it's been a long time since you've lived with your siblings. Think about a time when you were very bold with your brother or sister. Maybe they plucked that last nerve. They're done with you. Or you're done with them. And something's rising up inside. All of a sudden, you're clear, aren't you? Get out of my room! (laughs) Give me that thing back! Sometimes our hand gets bold, doesn't it? Or our foot. We're being clear, right? Now, that type of simple clarity is not what I'm talking about. But what I want to say is that when you feel something strongly, you can speak it plainly, can't you? So, to speak the gospel boldly, what is it that keeps us from doing that? Well, for some, and this was true for all everybody at some point who's a Christian. It will be hard to speak the gospel boldly because we just aren't that familiar with it. It's a very unique and special message. And, but as we grow up in time and learn the, the gospel, when we learn the word, when we become more familiar with the Bible, then we're able to speak of things more clearly, Right. You know, when I heard about the gas shortage initially, you know, Sunday or Monday, you know, it was like, well, hey, Jen, there's a gas shortage. She asked me a question about it. And I'm like, I, I don't really know much yet. I just read one little thing. It. But every day I was reading on that gas shortage because we're 760 miles away from home. So by the end of the week, you know, she could say, what did you read of today? And I could be like, well, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I just knew it. I could talk for three or four minutes about it. Because I was more familiar with it. So so one of the reasons that we aren't bold is because we're just not as familiar with the gospel message as we should be. So how do you overcome that? You get more familiar with it. And you all can figure out how to do that. There are lots of ways to do that. don't need me to share that with you. You already know. What are some other reasons that we can't speak confidently about the word of God? One of them is Fear. And I would say that that's probably the biggest one that that keeps us quiet. I'm familiar with it. I'm more familiar with it than I've ever been in my life. And as every week goes by, I get more familiar with it. That's not a problem for me. For me, it's that fear. And, And when I step back and I think about it, that's just dumb. That's just stupid. It doesn't make sense. And I'm repenting of that. And I'm praying prayers like this. God, I want to speak boldly, plainly, and confidently. If so-and-so that I see once every two years decides they never want to talk to me again because I'm talking about you, what do I have to lose? If if I'm in Red Barn and I speak to them about the gospel there and they say, never come back, what do I have to lose? i got to drive 15 more minutes to get my car inspected, Right? No big deal, (laughs) right? (laughs) Y'all, we gotta pray this. This is like model perfect prayer for us when we think about the offensive, about being on the offensive. Think about a basketball game. (laughs) You're on defense. They shoot. They miss. You grab the ball. You get the rebound. And then you're, you're, you're moving forward, aren't you? You, you? You're taking the ball down the court so that you can win the game. You're moving forward. This prayer is one that we need to pray so that we can move forward. I remind you of the quote that I read earlier. The church has become primarily a hospital to soothe empty selves instead of a war college to mobilize and train an army of men and women to occupy territory to advance the kingdom until the king returns. So they prayed that God would come into them so that they may speak the word plainly and clearly with all boldness. So that's the first thing they prayed. That's a radical prayer. And we got to pray. Second thing. Is even more radical. And notice in verse 30, they didn't pray that they would be able to do something. Verse 29, they did that. They they, they prayed, God, we want you to come and give us power and fill us and be in us so that we can do something. Well, in verse 30, they say to God, they ask God that He would do something. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's not a new sentence. Verse 30. It, it, they're asking God to do something while they do the thing they just asked God to do in them. God, we're going to talk. And God, we want you to do some incredible stuff. God, we're going to open our mouth and we want you to show your power. We're going to. Talk about Jesus. Well, we want you to show Jesus. We want you to show the power of Jesus. It says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders. I love that idea of stretching out the hand of God. Uh, Yeah, we walked through a lot of parking lots over the last week while we were out of town. And I held a lot of hands. Okay, little hands. And we went on a lot of walks. And I held a lot of hands. They don't live in Gates. My in-laws don't live in Gates County, as you already know. (laughs) And, And so, you know, there's a few more folks around than what there are around here. When I'm holding someone's hand, I feel it, don't I? The warmth of their skin. I know that they're there. In the Bible, when you see the idea, when you see the hand of God, it has to do with knowing he's there. It has to do with being close. We're on the ride home Friday. Jennifer, I've got to go out of time more often. I get more sermon illustrations. Jennifer's in the passenger seat. I did most of the driving. She reaches over the console and sticks out her hand, and I grab her hand. You know, we're separated by three and a half, four feet in our giant van. You know, but we're not really looking at each other. You know, we're talking a lot. But when her hand and my hand join, I know that she's there, When the hand of God is present, you know that he's there. And y'all, that's special. That's special. So they don't just want to talk about a God who's far away, but they want to talk about God, and they want everybody to know that God is there, that God is present. And you know what our hands do? Our hands do stuff, don't they? Didn't you use a spatula to put food on your plate a little bit ago? Our hands do stuff. Our hands do things. And the hand of God does something. Does it not? So God, while we speak about you, God, you show us that you are near. You show us that you are present. You stretch out your hand to heal. Don't leave your hand up there. But God, put your hand down there in our world, in our business We want to feel you. We want to see you. We want you to rock that boat. So rock it, God. Shake things up, is what they're praying. We don't like the status quo, God. We don't want to do church as usual. We don't want to just go and go through dead and meaningless ritual. No, we want to walk with you. God, we want to worship you. God, we want to see you transform so many things around us, God. We don't want to be bored anymore, God. Shame on us for making church boring. Shame on us for and I'm just speaking generally, I ain't speaking about any one person here or even not here. But we've just made, you know, we've taken this Bible and we've made it a message that's not very exciting. That is rather empty. And really, it's a cup that is overflowing constantly. And it's a beautiful and wonderful and amazing thing. So stretch out your hand, God, to heal. Do y'all remember at the end of chapter 3, it says, God, you're going to come back and restore everything? Well, that's what a, a miraculous physical healing today, or for the man in chapter 3, who the lame man outside the temple. When God heals someone, there's restoration that takes place. And when God heals someone physically, it's really easy for everyone to see. And every time he does that... It's a picture of the restoration that God did in our souls when he came to live inside of us when we got saved. And it's a picture of the ultimate restoration when everything in heaven and on earth is going to be remade and and renewed. That's what a physical healing is. And some, uh, it was mentioned at my table that even though we don't see these things in our community, there's still places all over the world where God's doing miracles just like this. So what is it that we have wrong that we're missing out on? And we'll be exploring that idea more in the next few weeks. Why are we missing out on the healing, the signs and the wonders? We're going to go there. What's a sign? You see a church sign down there this morning? Okay, so so if... Someone's never been here before, but they plan to come because they found us online or they heard about this place from one of us. You know, we can say that there's a sign down by the main highway. It'll send you down a dead end road. So, so look for the sign. And the sign always points to something else, right? It always points to something else. And it identifies, like the sign outside the store, it identifies this building as our gathering place. This is where we gather. Same with any sign on any building or business or or whatever it might be. A sign identifies a certain place or a certain thing with something else. And so healing, signs, miracles, wonders, they all point to something else or someone else. And his name is Jesus. So God does the healing. God does the signs and the wonders. Through who? The name of your servant, Jesus. Why are they experiencing opposition? Why are they encountering darkness the way that they are? It's because of the name of Jesus. Peter healed that man in the name of Jesus. He spoke in the name of Jesus. They asked them, why are you speaking in the name of Jesus? And then they said, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And now they say, God, do miracles in the name of Of your holy servant Jesus. One of the simplest ways to understand what it means, the name of Jesus, is to think about the power of Jesus. Think about him showing up and doing something really special, really grand, really amazing. So we get to verse 31. The prayer's over, okay? How does God respond to this prayer? And I've told you all a few times early on in the book of Acts that we just really need to be ready for God to do something incredible. Something that our senses and our minds can't explain. We need to be ready for God to do something that is out of this world. Something that may go against the laws of nature that he created. That that, that he made to govern this world. Are we ready? And do we even want him to radically transform something? I pose that question to you: Are you okay with God really changing things and really doing something neat and incredible? Verse thirty-one says, "When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness." Y'all, he sent a little earthquake. Maybe it was a little. Maybe not. It doesn't say the buildings fall down. It fell down. I'm assuming it was little. <laughs> he shook. The place. He shook the place. Notice that they were gathered together. And we talked about this some when we looked at this passage two weeks ago. As the people of God, we must gather together. And we do that on Sundays. And, and we do a lot of different things on Sundays, one of which is prayer. And I'm perfectly okay if we begin spending more time in prayer than when we currently spend. The, the, the you know, in order for verse 31 and that shaking to happen, something else had to happen first. There was a gathering. They were together. I think it's neat that Peter and John went to their friends. Saw that in verse 23? They knew where to go. They knew where the gathering place was. They knew where the people of God were, and they went there. Now, by this time, there's thousands of Jesus followers. I mean, this might have been 10 people. This might have been five people. It might have been 120 people, like it was in chapter 1. We don't know. But what we do know is that when they had the freedom to go gather, that's exactly what they did. And nobody was going to stop them from gathering because that's what God wanted them to do. This gathering, you know, people were gathered before they arrived, right? So we don't know if it was a planned gathering or not. We don't know if... It was more of a spontaneous gathering. Sometimes I'll stop by somebody's house. Unexpected. I don't do that very often, but occasionally I do. But they were together and they were gathered. I want to submit this to you. That those who were there were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. It wasn't just Peter and John. It wasn't just the elders of the church. It wasn't just the Bible college or the seminary graduate. But this ministry of speaking the word of God was for all people. I don't care if you're in this room and you're six years old or not. You can speak plainly and clearly and boldly for the Lord. But it was everybody. But also, as we think more about this gathering, I just want to ask again that we put a priority and an emphasis on the gathering. I want to share with you a tragic story that Bruce shared with me. And you might not think it's tragic, but I'm pretty sure it is. There's a person, he's a pastor, they're in their second year of starting this church, and there's a person that, you know, volunteers, who's a part of the church, and... You know, this lady has been, you know, telling Bruce, we need some more organization. You know, we, you know, she's, she's eager. She's ready. She's wanting to do some things. So he sent her a message and, and said, on such and such a night, we're going to have a meeting. We're going to spend time in prayer. We're going to talk through the vision of the church. We're going to just kind of organize a little bit more effectively here. And so they had the meeting and she didn't show up. And he was kind of. Yeah, this, this was kind of like what she wanted, right? You know, I mean, he wasn't only doing it for her. I mean, that's, you know, and, and he said something to her afterward. And she says this. Oh, I thought y'all were just getting together to pray. <laughs> that's a tragedy, church. That's a tragedy. Let's organize, let's organize, let's organize. Let's, let, let's, let's get everything together. But she admitted It wasn't worth my... I mean, she she didn't say this directly, but indirectly, I think it's safe to say, you know, they're just getting together to pray. I've got more important things to do. Let me speak to our Wednesday night prayer meetings. And, 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 And I may be wrong about what I'm about to say. Only God knows. When I consider... The emphasis and the priority that we together put on that prayer gathering, it makes me think we are nowhere close to to even wanting to change this community church. That breaks my heart. I believe it breaks the Lord's heart too. we put an emphasis and a priority on things that we believe are important. You've heard me say this. I don't expect everyone to be at every prayer meeting. Okay? I know there are legitimate reasons why people can't show up. Okay? So just because you don't come, that, don't assume that I'm assuming the worst about you. Alright? Because I don't do that. But month after month after month, when this one household or two households it shows me and i believe it just it, it very quietly speaks a message that we're not going to plan our week enough the all the other things we have to do right because the reason we usually don't do things is because we have other things right but we don't put those other things in a different place So that we can gather to do what they're doing in Acts chapter 4. If I am doing something that is just making that prayer meeting horrible in my leadership, or if I'm quenching the prayer, the spirit of prayer, or something like that, come tell me, because that's the last thing I want to do. You got a busy week, I got a busy week too. Yeah, I know. I I could write a book about that. But see, we're the ones writing the book. We're the ones in control of what gets typed or written. Church, if God's going to shake this place, we can't take prayer together flippantly. I know you all pray. I know you all pray. Most of you probably pray every single day, multiple times a day. I know that. But there is something unique and special in the scripture about gathering together to pray. All of us in here would say that we want Acts chapter 4 to happen to us. Nobody in here would be opposed to. The reason that earthquake happened and the reason that they spoke the word with all boldness. And as we're going to see in the next few weeks, that thousands of people came to the Lord. One of the main reasons for that was because they were gathering together and crying out to God. Gathering together to talk to God and to listen to his voice is absolutely necessary. Yeah, you know, there's not as many people in this room as there used to be, right? And I think anyone who's been here for some years, we kind of share that sadness together, right? And us who are here, we're really, really committed. But we're not adding anyone in. Maybe, maybe a household a year at most. I know you want to see this room filled up. If it's going to get filled up, people have to be transformed by the gospel. And I don't think that's going to happen until we put a greater emphasis on praying together. Those who were not at this gathering, they missed out. They missed out. I'm going to close by reading this quote again. The church has become primarily a hospital to soothe empty selves instead of a war college to mobilize and train an army of men and women to occupy territory to advance the kingdom until the king returns. As your pastor, as an elder of this church, and I believe elder and pastor are the exact same word, mean the exact same thing, despite our experience. I I am not a hospital director primarily. Occasionally, we open up the ICU for people when we need to, and we're very happy to do that, and that's needed. Occasionally, we're therapists because therapy is needed in the name of Jesus, that type of therapy, right? But I want you to know, when I think about this, I look at you all as boys and girls, men and women, who are in battle together. And I am training you for war. Anything that God has given me, I am giving it to you. Let's put our war outfits on. Let's go to battle. Let's pray.